0: Uh, <clears throat> I think uh, a lot of you uh, that that I know well or have been here for a while uh, you know this about me some of you may not but um my brother uh Jed uh, who's 15 months younger than me died in 2007 <clears throat> excuse me in a car wreck uh very suddenly uh, obviously car wreck 29 years old not expecting that and so when something like that in your life happens uh there's memories and uh grieving and all these things, but there 's memories that are kind of seared into your mind, I think, when there 's a, a trauma or a serious time that happens like that and so, as I think back on those days right after uh, Jed died and finding out about it, there's certain things that just are there, like very clearly in my mind and, and one of those is uh, I found out Jed died on a Saturday, and I, I remember Monday morning at about four o 'clock in the morning uh, that Monday, so probably about twenty four hours after not being able to sleep and uh, getting up and sitting on my front porch and uh, reading the book of Job. I read Job and I read about half of the book of Revelation as I sat on my front porch. And it's funny, the things that you remember, those memories that are seared in. I remember the kids coming out and going to the bus a little later as I was sitting on my porch because I was there for a while and the sunrise and reading. But I remember uh, reading through Job. And if you know the book of Job, Job's wrestling with losing his entire family and he's wrestling with God about what's happening and he finally cries out and he kind of questions God and God answers him at the end of Job. And as he hears God's answer, God says, where were you when I and he goes through this whole list of things. And in Job chapter 42, after he hears God answer him back, Job says this, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered. What I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. And so Job says that back to God. And then as I read in Revelation and then Revelation chapter 21, it says this in Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man and he will dwell with them and he will be his people And God himself will be there with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And I sat on my porch, and I read that, and God so clearly said, said, no purpose of mine will be thwarted. I went, "Oh yeah," And I sat there and it was like, OK, that's how we go forward. No purpose of God's is going to be thwarted. He is going to make all things new. And God kept doing that over and over in that first year in particular, but even to today. And so that was two days after my brother died. Fast forward about a year later. Um, I think it was about, uh, Jed died August 18, 2007, so August maybe 14, 2008, a friend of mine calls me and says, uh, one of my best friends at work, his brother just died in a car wreck. And he said, I don't know what to say to him. He's like, you have some ideas. Like, what, how do I encourage him? What do I say to him? I know you went through that with your brother. What do I say? And I said, well, uh, let me pray about it. And I said, I'll, I'll maybe write some things down and I'll send it to you in an email. And he said, okay, thank you great. And so I went home uh, that day and I I sent him an email and talked about Job and some of those things and and God's nearness to us, uh, that the cross proves that God loves us and he doesn't leave us and he knows what we're going through. And because of Jesus, we can trust he is with us in all things and wrote down some of those things. And I sent it to him and I said, you use that however you want. And I think he emailed back and said, hey, I'm going to forward this to my friend if that's okay." And I said, great. And so I forgot about it, to be honest sent it to him, and then a few days later, fast forward again, August 18th, 2008, one year to the day that Jed died. Uh, I was at a restaurant in Alpharetta with Joanna and Quinn, or not Quinn, Quinn wasn't born yet, it was Asher and Jed, and Jed was, my Jed was almost a year, and Asher was two, and we were eating lunch, and we were just finishing, and it's funny the things you remember, and as I got up, uh, getting them ready to leave, my phone rang, and it was my friend, And he called and said, hey, I just had to call and tell you this. He said, I just left the funeral for my friend's brother. And he said his wife got up and he said she started to talk and she took out of her pocket a piece of paper. And he said unfolded this paper and she said she started to read. He said she read your email that I had forwarded. And she said, somebody I didn't know forwarded me this email, but I want you to hear this. And he said she stood up and she proclaimed how good Jesus is. In a church filled with hundreds of people at a funeral of people you've never met. And I just wanted you to know that. And I stood in the parking lot of across from North Point Mall in <laughs> an Alpharetta. And I thank God for his kindness and graciousness to let me know that. To tap me on the shoulder literally a year to the day that Jed died to go, my purposes will not be thwarted. I am at work in all of this. Even in ways you don't know and you can't comprehend and you don't understand. And so when I when those kind of things happen and they've happened many times in my life and God continues to be faithful and do that. And oftentimes I think, "Uh, man, I can't believe that or wow, I can't believe it happened just like that. But the truth is, when I open the Bible and I start to read through and I start to look at it, he does this over and over. God's in the habit of doing this quite a bit. And so as we look in in Luke chapter two, and we're kind of wrapping up this series we've been doing for Christmas where we see this story of of all these different people around the birth of Jesus. I just want to highlight to you the way God does this with a sweet man, Simeon, and this older lady, Anna. And then we're going to look back at Mary and Joseph, and you're just going to see how God does this with each one of them in the midst of this, his grace and what they're going through and what their life looks like. God just taps them on the shoulder. And reminds us how faithful he is. And so let's look at this interaction with Simeon and Anna beginning in verse 21 of Luke chapter 2. And so verse 21 says at the end of eight days when he was circumcised he was called Jesus. The name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And so they had Jesus circumcised just as they were supposed to as observant Jews following God's law. And then verse twenty two, it says, when the time came for the purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it's written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves and two pigeons. And so what they were doing, just a background here is they were going and doing exactly what God told them to do based on the law. They're observing all the things, right? And so this young couple, Joseph and Mary, with this new baby, and they go to the temple and they're doing all the things that they were supposed to do. And so it talks about the firstborn and presenting them at the temple. What you were doing as you went, as you were saying, that uh, they would go and redeem the child is what they would say. I mean, redeem just literally means to buy back. And so what you're saying is this is actually God's child, and he's allowing us to have this child in our family for this time. And you were you were recognizing that children are a gift from God and they're really his. And that's what they were doing. And they were observing all the things that God told them to do. And so as they went up to the temple and they were doing these things, they meet this man named Simeon and we're introduced to him in verse twenty five. And it says, now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him, according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and he blessed God. And he said, and so get the scene here. They come into the temple. And as they come in, this guy sees them and he meets them and he comes over and he takes Jesus in his arms. And it says this guy, Simeon, is an older guy. That loves the Lord, that is devout and righteous and seeking God. He's anxiously waiting for the Christ, the Messiah, the promised one that God has long promised. What we've been talking about for the last four weeks. Back to that genealogy that we looked at at the beginning of Matthew about how all of this is pointing to Jesus. And they've been waiting and here he is in the temple waiting. And when he sees Jesus, he comes over and he takes him in his arms And he says this, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all people a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall of. And rising of many in Israel for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your soul also so that thoughts for many for many hearts will be revealed. And so he comes up and he begins to speak to them and he begins to talk about who Jesus is and what he's come to do. And the first thing he says is, I have seen my eyes have seen your salvation. Right. And so he's he's blessing God and he's calling out to God and he says, I've seen your salvation. And here he is in my arms. And he starts to talk about who Jesus is and what he's come to do. And he highlights here, he says in verse 32, he's a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. And around this time and you see this idea repeating throughout the Gospels. When we talk about the Messiah or the Christ coming and they talk about Israel, they talk about him coming to free the people, to to free the oppressed. And they they kind of really hang on to these ideas that the Messiah is going to come and he's going to free Israel and he's going to do all these things and he's going to make them uh, return them to their glory and all this. And so they were expecting the Messiah to be this one that would come and, and lead the charge against Rome and would take and free the people and all these things. And so what happened around this time is most of the Jews would kind of hold on to that picture. But what Simeon says here rightly, and it's important for us to notice, as he says he'll be a light for revelation to the Gentiles. It's not just for the Jews, it's for the Gentiles as well. And you can understand why they maybe, not that they didn't believe that, they did believe that, but maybe they downplayed it. If you put yourself in their shoes at this time, right? they are under the heavy oppression of Roman rule. Uh, they are not a free people. They have this government that is harsh and difficult, that is quick to kill people. Right. There was peace in Rome because if he said anything against them, you got killed. You got publicly crucified. And so that's who they were under. So they were expecting a Messiah who would come and free them. And so when Simeon mentions a light for revelation to the Gentiles, he's reminding us the promise of God from the very beginning. If you go back to Genesis 12, when God promises to Abraham, he says, I'm going to bless the world through your seed. And yes, he's doing a special work with Abraham and his descendants. And that's the way he's showing what he's like. But ultimately, the promise was always about blessing the world, not just a group of people, but all people. And Simeon rightly says here that it'll be a light of revelation for the Gentiles. Gentiles just means non-Jews. So that includes the Romans. And he's prophesying and saying this Jesus is coming to lead the Jews and to do these things. It's going to be glory for the for the Jews, but he's also going to be a light of revelation to all people. And it's a good thing for us to stop and at least remember, especially in our day today, day. We live in a time and we live in a culture where politically, socially, culturally, we're very, very divided. And we like to argue and we like to kind of pit us against them and these people are right and these people are wrong and we like to argue over those things. And it's easy for us to get into that mentality of us and them, whoever that is, however you divide that line or you draw that out. And it's easy for us to to get into the way our world seems to say things work. Like if, if you disagree with someone, it's okay to belittle them. Or it's okay to mock them or it's okay to attack them. But the truth is, and I think what Simeon reminds us is, is that Jesus is a light of revelation for the Gentiles and the Jews, for all people. There's no us in them. There's only us in the sense of we're all broken sinners and we all desperately need Jesus. And it's good for us to be reminded of that regularly. That the things that divide us often we can we can trace back to the root, which is sin and ignoring God and the world he created, and we all desperately need Jesus in that. And so as Simeon rightly says, and he kind of brings that out, and he speaks truth over Jesus, the baby Jesus, and he's saying these things. But the next thing I want you to see, says, is look at what he turns and says uh, to Mary. In verse 34, it says, Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that heart, so that thoughts for many hearts may be revealed. And he says this thing to her, and I think he's certainly speaking to Mary, but I think there's a broader application to all of us. And he says Jesus is coming and he's telling Mary he's going to be this child that is going to divide people. That he's going to he's appointed, it says there for the ri- the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And he says the thoughts for many hearts will be revealed. And what he says is exactly what we see play out in Jesus's life throughout the Gospels. Jesus comes and he speaks the truth and he tells who he is. He says he's God in the flesh and the only way to be re- reconciled to the father is through him. And he'll say this over and over and over again. And in doing so, he'll begin to divide the crowds and he'll begin to set people and reveal their hearts in the way that they see who he is. If you read through uh, Jesus, most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, and you get to the very end and he says he summarizes at the end, whether you rise or fall, whether you go to heaven or whether you are cast into the outer darkness, into hell, all depends on whether or not you know and love me. And he divides people in that way. You either come through me or you are put away. Or he'll say in John uh, chapter three, he'll talk about how the one who believes in me is not condemned, but the one who does not believe in me is condemned already. And he begins to lay everyone bare and he begins to show us the truth of how we come to him. Jesus didn't come to be the example that we follow the best we can. And if we do it pretty well, then God will accept us. No, Jesus says, I came to do what you cannot do for you. And so he reveals our heart in this way. He says, you come to me by what I do. You come to me and you put your faith and trust in me alone because only I can do what you can't do for you. And that reveals our heart. Because the only way that we come to him is by admitting that we're a sinner and we're in need of a savior. And so Jesus does that and it discerns and like uh, Hebrews talks about, it cuts to the very heart of us and it discerns and it shows us and it lays us bare. And his words do that. Either you are putting your trust in me or you're putting your trust in yourself. And he will come and he will say that. And Simeon rightly says to Mary, he's going to do this. And as he does this, he's going to divide the crowds and it's ultimately going to lead to his death. He's willingly laying down his life because he's going to speak the truth and he's going to divide the crowds and it's going to make a lot of people really angry. And then he turns and I think part of what he's saying here to Mary is when he says the sword will pierce through your soul also. He's reminding her that as Jesus comes, he's not just your child. He is God's anointed one who's come to do this. And what you're going to see him do is laying his life down and it's going to pierce your soul. You're going to see this unfold in front of you. And it will certainly become true when you read through the Gospels and Mary and his brothers and sisters show up and they're looking for him. And they say, your mother's outside. And Jesus says, who is my mother and my brothers, but those that do the will of the father. And he shows them over and over. And Simeon's rightly reminding her it's going to be difficult for her as the mother who loves him, who raises him, who is with him to see all this unfold right in front of her. And so Simeon speaks the truth to them in the midst of this. But I want you to think about that, what he says about dividing us and the only way that you come to Jesus is by admitting that you're a sinner and you can't do it. That you desperately need Jesus that lays you bare. It reveals your heart. Are you trusting in yourself or are you putting your faith in what God has done for you? And it lays us bare. That's a hard thing because there's a humility that comes with that to admit that I cannot do this and I desperately need Jesus to do for me what I cannot do. But the flip side of that is it's radically freeing. Because in that you meet God and he says, you can't do it, but I can. And I love you enough to do it for you. And that's the picture of why Jesus is here and what he's come to do to redeem his people, to bring us back, to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. And even though that's difficult to admit that we're a sinner and we need a savior, at the same time, there's a great joy in finding that God loves you that much. That even though you can't do it, he can and he's willing to do it for you. And so you see Simeon saying these truths to them and you imagine what that's like for Joseph and Mary and they hear this. But before he's even done in verse 36, it says, and then there was a prophetess, Anna, a daughter of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher. And she was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin and then as a widow until she was eighty four. Right. So catch that. She was married for seven years and then widowed till she was 84. So if she was married around the time that a young girl was normally married in this culture. That means she'd been a widow for about 60 something years. And it says what she had done as she became a widow is she did not depart from the temple worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. So she had devoted her life to worshiping God and being at the temple for 60 plus years. And then all of a sudden, and coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And so God reveals to her who this is. And so you have Simeon speaking the truth about who Jesus is and saying these things. And then this lady, this devout woman that loves the Lord and has been seeking him her entire life, walks in and sees him and begins to give praise to God. And you see this image with both of these people. Right. Both uh, Simeon and Anna, the grace of God and his kindness to each of them, that later in their life, these two older folks, that God allows them to see the Christ, the Messiah that they've long been waiting for. And it's like he taps him on the shoulder and goes, there he is. And you get to see him. And I think of uh, the way God revealed the Simeon. He said, you're not going to die before you see him. And the first thing he says is he holds him and he's in his hands. He says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. He's like, I can die now. I have seen the Savior as he holds him in his hands and he prophesies over what he's going to do. And so you see God's grace to these two people and the way he's teaching them and showing them and encouraging them late in their life. And so just a couple things about both of them. I want you just to think about the life Of devotion and praise that both of these lived above all else. That for many, many years they followed the Lord in all things. And God graciously meets them towards the end of their life and greatly encourages and reminds them what he's doing. And what a beautiful picture it is. Like when you read about Anna here, who for 60 plus years was at the temple seeking the Lord and praying. And one day she wakes up and there he is. And you see this picture of a long obedience in the same direction, seeking the Lord day after day after day and God meeting them in the midst of that. But the second thing I want you to see about them is it talks about him being Simeon, being filled with the Holy Spirit, right? The spirit revealed this to him right? and showed him that he wouldn't uh, die before he had seen the Christ. And he comes in and he sees Jesus and God reveals to him who this is. And he's filled with the spirit. And the image I want you to get here, and I think it's consistent throughout the Bible, we talk often about wanting to be filled with the Spirit and walking in the Spirit and doing those things. And that is a good thing. God calls us to that. And we do want to be filled with the Spirit. But I think sometimes we make that look like an experience or a feeling or a thing we're chasing. But what we see over and over with people who are filled with the spirit and Jesus will say this in John 13 to 17, as he teaches on what it looks like, what the spirit will do and what he's come for and what it's meant to be. And it's always to glorify Jesus. And here you see Anna and you see uh, Simeon and both of them are overwhelmed with who Jesus is and what God is doing through him. And that's what it looks like to be filled with the spirit that Jesus is magnified glorify Jesus says that's what the spirit does. It comes and it glorifies me, he says in John's gospel. And so I just want to remind you when we think about what it looks like to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Yes, they were overwhelmed. And yes, there's emotions involved in it. And yes, there's an experience that they're having. But all of those things glorify who Jesus is. That's the beautiful picture of God's grace to them in these moments. And so I want us to as we think about Simeon and Anna, I also want you to turn your focus for just a second to Mary and Joseph. We spent a lot of time the last couple of weeks talking about Mary and Joseph and the difficulty of what this would have been like. Right? Mary miraculously becoming pregnant. Most everybody not going to believe what she's saying. Right. I am a virgin and I got pregnant. And everybody goes, yeah, OK. Right. And people are gossiping and they're hearing people around. We talked about Joseph and how at first he didn't believe it. He had resolved to divorce her quietly and the relational strain that must have been for both of them. And then God graciously tells Joseph, no, this is of God and you can take her as your wife. And so he does. And he's obedient. But even as he's obedient, as they're walking this out together, everyone around them would have just assumed that they had already slept together. That they slept together before they were married. It would hurt their reputation. No one would believe them. They'd be dealing with all of this emotional baggage as they go through this. And so it's a wonderful gift of God that he allows them to be there with God in the flesh, the Messiah, that Jesus has come. But there's a lot that goes with that. A lot of difficulty that goes with that. But I just want to remind you the way God cares for Mary and Joseph in this. And so if you go back in Luke two, right before where we started in in verse 22, the section right before that is when Jesus is born and he's born and uh, an angel appears to the shepherds nearby in a field. We talked about this on Christmas Eve if you were here just a few days ago and the angel appears to the shepherds out in the field and it says he's here. Right. And they they proclaim the good news that Jesus is here and he's been born and the shepherds are like, wow, okay And then it says the skies opened up and the multitudes in the heavens begin to praise God. And they're there hearing it. Right. And then all of a sudden they disappear. And they're like, whoa, (laughs) what just happened? (laughs) Right. And it says, if you look in Luke two in verse 15, when the angels went away from them, into the heavens, the shepherds said to one another, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened that the Lord has made known to us. Seems like a pretty reasonable course of action, right? Like God just opened the skies and proclaimed to us that Jesus is here. Let's go find him. Right? Let's go see him. And so it says, and when they went with haste and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And so they were somewhere close by and God tells them and they go over. Uh, If you've ever been part of a baby being born, it's an intense, cathartic thing. And this baby is here. And then after they get the baby all cleaned up and they're good and all that, and they hand you the baby and then kind of there's a calm for a little bit. And you can imagine the scene of, of Joseph and Mary. And there they are looking at the baby and they're like, can you believe what's happening? And here it is. And then all of a sudden, these guys burst in the door. These shepherds that they've never met before, that they've never seen, they don't know who they are and they come in and it says, and when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning the child and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Right. So they burst in and they go, hey, God just opened the skies and said, this is the Messiah. And we were just out in the field and we had to come find him. And look at what it says in verse 19, But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. God taps Mary and Joseph on the shoulder and he goes, I got you. I got you in all this. And he continues to do this. If you skip down. So imagine that's the night of his birth. They go up to the temple 30 days after he's born to present him. And Simeon comes walking up and goes, here he is. God has told me before I died that I would see the Messiah. And here he is. And he takes him in his arms and he begins to prophesy and say all these incredible things. And look at what it says in verse 33. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Mary and Joseph go, whoa, right? Thirty days later, God does it again. And he says, this is him. This is the Messiah. And everything that's been told of you is going to come to fruition. And they're standing there marveling at it. And if you flip over and you read in uh, Matthew chapter two, that it tells us that the wise men came, right? Sometimes in our nativity scenes, we have the shepherds and the animals and then the wise men. Well, the wise men didn't get there for like a year, maybe six, nine months, a year. It took a while. They came from a long way away. So they weren't there that night. We kind of mess that up in the story. Sometimes it gets pushed together. But it was several months, maybe a year later, and they show up. And it says they come in and they say, we saw this star in the sky and we know who he is. And they walk in. And again, God does it again. It says Mary's sitting there with the baby and they walk in and they begin to worship him and to lay things at his feet. And see, what we see is God is in the habit of confirming and encouraging and walking with us in the middle of all those things. And you see him do it with Simeon and Anna that had spent their lives waiting and looking ahead to the Messiah. You see him do it with this young couple (laughs) thrown into this at a very young age and he continues to remind them over and over and we see it throughout the Bible over and over again that God calls us in to follow him and to be faithful in these things and then he encourages us along the way and he does those through his word he does that through his community of believers and people who encourage us and walk with us and so as we wrap up and think about it we kind of end this series just a couple things I want you to think about What we see in all this is one is that as we walk through our life and these different things and hard times come, stay the course and continue to be faithful to God in all things. He has not left you. Even in the days when you're not sure where he is and like Job, you cry out and you're not hearing back immediately. God says he never leaves us or forsakes us and he is with us through those things and he is at work. And as you continue to faithfully follow him, he graciously taps you on the shoulder from time to time. And he shows you those things and he reminds you of how he's working and what it looks like. And he does that to encourage you. And he does that through one another. And so I would just say this to you. Share those stories of when God's doing that in your life with your brothers and sisters in faith. We are called to encourage one another daily. And this life can be hard and the struggles that are there, but God is real And he's working and you hear those things and you begin to hear how he's working and the encouragement that is. And so as we spend time in his word and we spend time together, may that be the consistent witness of his people. God is faithful and he has not left us and he is with us in all things and he is at work in all things. And we can trust him in that because really what this story is, all of this, every one of them is a testimony to God's faithfulness. Right. We see the faithful people of seeking him in those things, but it's actually God who's the one who's faithful that's holding them and keeping them and reminding him. And the same is true today. So let's pray. God, we thank you for the glorious (coughs) good news of who you are. We thank you that you have come to us to do what we could never do for us I thank you for these stories of of you entering into time and space and the way that you just confirm that over and over I thank you that you are still at work in our lives today and you are still confirming and encouraging and working I pray that you would open our eyes to see the ways that you're doing that all around us that we would be quick to share those stories with one another that we would give you all the glory that we continue to point to this points us always to your grace to us in Jesus and we thank you for that We thank you for this time of year. Uh, We thank you for this year that you've blessed us and kept us in your many good gifts. And we just praise you and thank you for all these things. And we pray all of it in Jesus' name. Amen.